Coming up on Stu Does America, Amazon continues to kneel before the woke mob as they will now discontinue sales on any book that Amazon says portrays LGBTQ plus issues in the unapproved way. I'll be joined by Ryan T. Anderson about his book, When Harry Became Sally. And Andrew Cuomo's colleagues, even on the left, continue to call for his resignation. Will he follow their advice and hop on a life raft like Billy Zane in Titanic? Or will he grab his violin and go down with the ship? Either way, we can be sure that his career will be remembered like that dude that smacked the propeller on the way down. Not, not, not fun. <sighs> Welcome to a brand new week of Stu Does America. Did you know that you can watch this stupid, stupid show completely free? YouTube, podcasts, and a ton of different platforms. Just head to stewdoesamerica.com and pick your favorite. And please feel free to leave us a nice review or a five freaking star rating uh, if you dig our content, which, of course, you must. It's a requirement. Legal or get the show and a ton of great conservative shows as well with a subscription to Blaze TV. Sign up at blazetv.com slash stew. Be sure to enter the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll save 10 bucks. Remember when Trump's border policy was constantly being compared to the Holocaust by our supposedly unbiased media on the regular? Well, as usual, it turns out that Biden's situation is much worse. Let's remember who built the cages and do Biden's botch border. Stu does America. Well, 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 we have, yes, another crisis on the border. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's not the right way of saying it. I shouldn't say that. It's definitely not a crisis. Not at all. Nothing's really all that disturbing about it. It's not a crisis. It's a humanitarian challenge. Got it? The Border Patrol in 2021 recorded 75,312 encounters at the southern border between ports of entry. In February, it recorded 96,974. And if you may know, by the way, this is just just improv off the top of my head. February, a shorter month. That's a pretty big number. According to the most recent CBP data available by comparison, CBP recorded 60,683 total apprehensions in May of 2014, that year's peak. Do you remember how big of a story that was back in 2014? It was a huge crisis. That means the numbers for February of this year under Biden were 59% higher than the worst year of Barack Obama and that crisis in 2014. So that sets the table for you, Okay. Things are really, really bad, a lot worse than last time you worried about this problem. And when even lower numbers were coming uh, in under Trump, this is how the situation at the border was being talked about. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. (laughs) And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. Right, totally. And... um, if that doesn't bother you, mm-hmm. what, what? I don't. You don't. Good, good point. I got. I like. We can have. Okay, whatever. I want to talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not. That never again means something, mm. and that um, the fact that concentration camps are now an institutionalized practice in the home of the free She's is struggling through these extraordinarily sentences. disturbing. <laughs> um, they're like literal concentration camps and everything or something. 
It's funny because she she later tried to deny this and say that, oh, I wasn't talking about the Holocaust. I was just talking about concentration camps. But she mentions fascism and she mentions never again. And she mentions concentration camps. But what she meant were different kinds of concentration camps, of course. And obviously AOC, before she hit the public stage, had these very completely, totally natural and not staged looking photos they were taken of AOC acting completely normally while crying in front of a fence by a mostly empty parking lot down the road from an immigrant holding area. Hmm. So why is this different? The incentives of crossing the border illegally have completely changed since Joe Biden was elected. Trump promised a lot of stuff on the border, and honestly, he wasn't able to get a lot of it done. But at least he tried to communicate a relatively consistent message. Don't Come here if you're illegally coming here. They literally see Biden as their free pass. That's why illegal immigrants are coming this way in such high numbers. They actually call him the migrant president. Quote, they see him as the migrant president. And, they, and so many feel they're going to reach the United States. Mexican President Obrador said <laughs> Biden the morning after a virtual meeting with his U.S. counterpart on March 1st. The actual Mexican president is telling us the illegal see Biden, Biden as the migrant president. And it's understandable, right? Of course, the Democrats are positioning themselves this way. And the, the, the way they've been doing this for such a long time, they're the people who are nice to illegals. They're the people who are heartfelt in their desires for the best things for illegal immigrants. This has always been a scam. Unfortunately for those who have been lied to all of this time, Biden has dis discovered something from the Trump toolbox, which he's putting into use. The United States is doing this under a federal order known as Title 42. The order introduced by Mr. Trump but embraced by Mr. Biden, justifies rapid expulsions as a health measure amid the pandemic. But cramming migrants into airplanes and overcrowded detention facilities without any coronavirus testing defeats the purpose of Title 42, observers say. What a great observation from those observers. So Biden is signaling love for illegal immigrants to win votes here in the U.S. Then he's piling them into close quarters on planes and in cages during the pandemic. And he's also allowing God knows how many to cross the border without any checks on their legal status or their COVID status. Look, every president has a crisis like this. Everyone in my lifetime, at least, that's for sure. You have the country with the most promise in the history of the world sharing a border with a crumbling narco state. It's not an easy problem to fix. But it's more important than ever now, as this Title 42 debate shows clearly, there are tons of people coming and tons of people making it across our border. And they're coming from one of the worst COVID hotspots in the world. And how are these illegal immigrants being housed? DHS officials themselves, they are worried that they are right now in the kind of situation where kids can die because of the overcrowding. And by the way, when we're talking about capacity right now, we are talking pre-COVID numbers. There is no social distancing in these facilities. In the real Like 300% of capacity, that's pre-COVID, meaning yeah. like that's not 300% after you give them six feet of distance. Right, so like post-COVID, we're talking like, you know, 1,000% capacity. Wow. A thousand percent capacity. 
It's important to note that he's talking about the pre-COVID capacity there when he says 300%. So not an ounce of social distancing. It's like an experiment as to how to come up with the best possible way to spread COVID. And listen to the starting point already. They're coming across the border. They're not being kept in any way with social distancing rules. We don't know how much COVID they're spreading. Since you've been here, on average, what is the percent positive of the people coming across from Mexico? Let's say from the most, most that I have uh, tested, like around 116. And from those, at least 30 are positive. And that seems to propagate that old, you know, dog whistle of, hey, uh, you know, migrants are bringing uh, disease and other terrible things across the border. Uh, and that's why we need to shut them out. <laughs> OK, well, that's 26 percent of the illegal immigrants in that group that are already positive. And I'm sorry, it's not a dog whistle that they're bringing disease. They're actually bringing disease. This is a pandemic. We can import tequila and queso from Mexico, but let's skip the virus and the import in the middle of the pandemic. How bad is it in Mexico? Look at this study. Mexico City is the only major city in the world where excess deaths is above 6,000 per million residents, uh, which is really, really high. To give you an idea about how high that is, the worst uh, death rate for any country with a significant population is the Czech Republic, which is at 2,180. New York State is at 2,532 per million. New Jersey is the highest in the, in the U.S. at 2,694 per million. Mexico City is more than double either one of them. And remember, we are testing more than 25 times as many people per capita in the U.S. than they are in Mexico. They have not really even tried to control the pandemic. For nine straight months, the positive test percentage in Mexico, the whole country, has been at least 40%. 40% for nine months. Ours never got as high as 9% at any time during the pandemic. We must control this border. Mexico has no idea where the disease is, who has it, or where it's going. And they don't seem to care all that much about gaining this knowledge. Long term, we're vaccinating the population at about 10 times the per capita rate of Mexico. So this is going to be a big problem for a very, very long time. Every president in my lifetime has struggled with a border crisis of one kind or another. This is the long term reason to actually fix the problem, secure the border, have an immigration system that I don't know actually makes sense. But keep allowing your identity politics to dictate your policy. And we'll not only have many more illegal immigrants, we'll also have a lot more COVID-19. It has become increasingly important to make sure that independent voices are heard. This year, it's more crucial than ever. This is why we are excited to announce that we have partnered with Pluto TV to make new ways to make sure that conservative voices are breaking through. Go tell your friends, your relatives, or really anyone who needs to hear some sanity in an increasingly insane time. Watch Blaze Live, our ad-supported 24-7 limited live stream on Pluto TV, channel 238. You can also drop in for 250-plus channels of free TV, plus thousands of on-demand movies and series Absolutely free. Pluto TV, drop in. It's free. 
Go to www.pluto.tv or download the Pluto TV app now. I'm joined now by Ryan T. Anderson. He's the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, as well as the author of When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment. Ryan, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Um, I want to go into the banning of the book and the letter you received from Amazon explaining it in a minute. But let's start here. Tell people about the book, why you wrote it, and what you were trying to accomplish. Sure. So the book came out three years ago. Um, The basic uh, premise and motivation of the book is that there are people who are suffering right now. Uh, They're not faking it. They're not making it up. Uh, They didn't actively choose uh, to be experiencing a deep discomfort in their own bodies, a sense of alienation from their own bodies. And they're not getting the help that they deserve, right? They're being told that puberty blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, and then possibly surgery are gonna be the solution that brings them healing and wholeness. Uh, And the best evidence shows that that doesn't bring uh, lasting healing, wholeness, and happiness. And so I wrote the book precisely to kind of tell the stories and report on the data that the mainstream media refuses to report on. And I think that's an important part to start with because this is there, there. There is a treatment of the transgender issue that is really offensive and based in, you know, hate or, uh, you know, some discriminatory fashion. I mean, we've seen people make these comments before, but that is not this book. You are not approaching this from some sort of way of attacking them or maligning people who are going through this. You're really just looking at the science and trying to look at what the best possible solutions could be. I mean, that's exactly right. Um, You know, several times in the book, I explicitly say, you know, we need to be treating everyone with dignity and respect and civility and charity and compassion, that we should never engage in name calling or heated rhetoric. And then I practice what I preach. Anyone who's actually read the book knows that it's not a bomb throwing book. It's not red meat. It's none of the types of things that, you know, Amazon's now claiming it is and that the various detractors have claimed it is. Um, And I think that's just a huge disservice um, to readers everywhere, but especially to people who are looking for better answers to the questions of, you know, what can I do to feel comfortable again? Um, You know, the book did well and people, you know, it was well received. Um, And then it goes through three years. And one day you wake up and find out it's been taken off of Amazon. What what was that like? and, And what did you know at the time? So I knew nothing at the time. I, I, um, someone reached out to me to say, hey, I'm trying to buy your book on Amazon and I can't find it anymore. And so I just assumed they must be searching for the wrong term, something like that. Right. I pull up the Amazon app on my phone and I can't find it there. I can't find the hardcover. I can't find the paperback. I can't find the Audible, the Kindle. It's as if it never existed. It simply got uh, uh, erased from you know history. And now the timing of this is very suspicious. This book was erased on a Sunday afternoon the week that the House of Representatives was going to be voting on a radical transgender bill that I'm one of the most uh, prominent critics of. Right. And so it Mm. seems like Amazon was trying to, you know, shut down the conversation. You know, um, uh, uh, there was a political motivation here because the timing seems very suspicious. Uh, And you had uh, some good senators on your side here that decided to write a letter to Amazon and just say, hey, 
You didn't explain this to Ryan. Can you explain it to us? What was the policy decision? What was the background? Why did this happen? And, you know, I guess to their credit, I mean, senators can sometimes uh, get answers from from companies that people can't. Um, They were able to get a response from Amazon. And what did it say? Sure. So, uh, you know, yesterday afternoon, uh, Amazon writes back and they have one line that they keep repeating is that, you know, their new policy is that they don't sell books um, that discuss LGBT identities as mental illnesses. But my book doesn't do that. Right. And so even the new policy that they're articulating, it doesn't actually apply to the book I wrote. Uh, Mm. My book never says that, you know, because people identify as LGBT, therefore, they're mentally ill or anything like that. What my book does say is that gender dysphoria is a serious condition and that the best treatment for gender dysphoria is not hormones and surgery, uh, but it's various forms of counseling that will help people reconnect their thoughts and their feelings with the reality of their own bodies. (laughs) This is absolutely incredible. You're not even saying the thing they're accusing you of saying. Um, and, you know, you seem like you're pretty clear in the book and everything that I've ever read from you that you're not attacking at all. This is not something where you're saying these people are crazy. You're saying uh, that gender dysphoria is a real thing. And you seem to at least all the information I can find, you seem to be in complete agreement with the science on this, that they, they seem to have this this line where they're trying to say that some uh, LG, uh, you know, transgendered people do not have gender dysphoria and some do. And they maybe are trying to say you're painting with a too broad a stroke here. But I mean, this isn't I mean, it doesn't seem like they even have an argument here. Of course not. And people who don't have an argument and who can't win an argument simply shut down the discussion. Mm. I mean, I think that's what we're seeing here. Amazon is flexing its muscles. It's the largest e-commerce conglomerate in the world. It sells a majority of books in America, 80% of e-books in America. And now that they don't have to worry about any pushback from the Department of Justice or the current presidential administration, uh, I think they're seeing what they can get away with. Um, And unfortunately, uh, this will have a chilling effect on the entire book industry. You know, who's the author that's going to you know, take a risk at telling the truth on this issue? Who's the publisher that's going to publish a book that tells the truth on this issue if they're worried that Amazon will delist them and lose access to the you know, largest bookseller in the world? And then as bottom line here, it's going to have a, a bad effect on readers because right. all of our viewers right now won't even know about the books that never get written or the books get, that get delisted that we never even hear about. And there becomes sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy here in that, like, if you, you know, someone like you, and, I, and you may have the guts to do it anyway, but if someone like you was thinking, you know, I might write a book about transgendered issues or I might write a book about uh, lowering taxes, you're going to be a lot more, you know, incentivized to go that way and completely avoid this issue. And, and, and the other side of the issue never gets told because you're sort of like uh, censored in advance. That's exactly right. This is the kind of self-censorship that happens that once big tech and big corporations and Hollywood and, you know, kind of go through all the people in our culture who have power, once they make an example of one person, that then sets a precedent that makes everyone else say, do I want to stick my neck up because it might my head might get chopped off? Right. I mean, this is the kind of um, um, uh, kind of long term consequence that if Amazon gets away with this, the chilling effect here is that many people are going to say it's just not worth it. You know, I'll write a book about lowering taxes or I'll write a book about free trade. I'm not going to 
write a book that tells the truth about uh, gender dysphoria. So stepping back from from your story here for just a second, what is the right policy for Amazon? I mean, I would expect, I know, I mean, I've heard people say that they can go buy Mein Kampf and the Turner Diaries and all sorts of other terrible, terrible uh, stuff from from history and a lot of it current. Um, And that stuff's still available on Amazon. I mean, should Amazon have a policy at all to take any material off? Should they be able to flag real hate and, and, and remove that from their platform? What do you think they should do? Well, I mean, I think first they need to have some transparency. They actually need to, you know, have um, an articulable standard that they're actually going to apply consistently. And the standard that I would suggest for them, just so that they don't have to, you know, constantly have these sorts of um, media flare-ups, is to embrace a First Amendment standard. Right? Mm. We have uh, courts that have been applying the First Amendment for a while now. You know, two hundred some years, and not every speech is protected by the First Amendment. Libel's not. Slanders is not protected. Uh, defamation is not protected speech. Obscenity is not protected speech. Fighting words, right? So there's a variety of of categories of speech act that don't get First Amendment protection. But anything that does get First Amendment protection, Amazon should say our policy is that if it's legal, we'll sell it. It just strikes me that that's going to be a better long-term business decision for them. Uh, they claim to say that they're going to be the world's you know largest market where you can get everything that's worth reading. What they're doing here is saying a certain perspective they disagree with, and therefore they're shutting it down. Right? What they're saying is that if you don't agree that puberty blocking drugs, cross-sex hormones, and surgery is the best response to gender dysphoria, we're just going to silence you. That's terrifying because, you know, I mean, it goes down. I mean, these things have the, the slippery slope thing is real. I mean, I, you know, I know that's, that, that argument gets beat up from time to time. But we are seeing so many examples of this to the point now where, you know, I mean, you're, you're a respected author. You're someone who's obviously taking this seriously. And to, they're, they're taking you out. Is it because uh, of a an ideological situation? Is it because they're just uh, terrified and playing to the woke masses? Uh, What is Amazon doing here? That's a great question. Uh, We don't know because they won't say. Uh, It does strike me that there might be ways um, that, you know, um, uh, if we ever got to a discovery stage of a lawsuit, it would be very interesting to see, you know, who was putting pressure on Amazon to do this, right? You know, who was reaching out to Amazon saying you should delist this book? How did the timing get decided upon? Um, my guess is that there are probably some skeletons in the closet here. Mm, that's very interesting. I, w- I would definitely like to see the results of that. Um, so, Ryan, people are learning about this book maybe for the first time. They cannot buy it on Amazon. That much we do know. Where can they buy it? Buy it directly from the publisher. Cut out the middleman. Uh, don't give a portion of your money to Amazon. Buy it direct, EncounterBooks.com. Uh, Encounter is a great publisher of lots of interesting content. So when you go to their website to get my book, look at the other books that they've published. You'll probably find a, a title or two uh, in addition that you might want to check out. And Encounter Books, they are, they're sticking by you, right? Oh, of course. Roger Kimball, the publisher, has, has a backbone of steel. He's not going to cave to the cancer, cancel culture mob. Uh, I, I have no worries from my publisher at all. That is great. That's, that's what I like to hear. I mean, I, I, you wind up appreciating that more and more in these times. Ryan T. Anderson, he's the president of Ethics and Public Policy Center uh, and also the author of When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Movement. You can get that at EncounterBooks.com. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the program. Thank you. All right. Back in a second. 
You know, we come in here every day for you, America. And we come in here with one goal in mind, to tell you all the terrible things that happened to Andrew Cuomo in the last 24 hours. It's pretty much the whole point of the show at this point. We have these Andrew Cuomo is awful. Dot com mugs that, of course, are the, the mug that took down a governor. And that's, of course, available for you at Andrew Cuomo is awful dot com. Uh, but we also look at these things and try to come up with new angles because there's so much stuff that's going on. I don't want to give you the same stuff every single day. Well, we had this observation that Andrew Cuomo is basically the guy the media told you Donald Trump was. You know, all the, the terrible things they said about Donald Trump are actually true about Andrew Cuomo. And we went through this whole list. It was a show called uh, Stu Does Cuomo versus Ch- Trump. I think it was last week sometime. Go back and watch it. It's just like, it's just, it's just a great insight on how the media actually works. And then, after we do the whole show, and we roll it out for America, and thousands and thousands of people watch it, what headline do I get today? <sighs> Cuomo has a, quote, preoccupation with his hand size. <sighs> A former uh, aide, Charlotte Bennett, has told investigators that he was obsessed with his hand size. This is something they accuse Donald Trump of constantly. Now, it's a little bit different here, because if you know uh, the, the Trump's storyline, it was that Donald Trump was obsessed with his hands being too small. This one is the opposite, apparently. And it is exactly what you think it is. Uh, one piece of new information in the investigation that came to light today was the governor's preoccupation with his hand size and what the large size of his hands indicated to Charlotte and the other members of his staff. So there you go. Andrew Cuomo being as big a douche as you'd expect him to be at any given moment. Uh, if you missed this, you know, I know you missed it because I had finished the show on Friday and we're you know, packing up. I've already done, a, done an entire Cuomo segment. We're packing up for the day, get in the car. What comes over the uh, radio? Uh, well, Senator Chuck Schumer and Kirsten Gillibrand uh, have decided to call for Andrew Cuomo to resign. Now, to me, it was buried on a Friday evening. You know, I know that those rules don't really apply maybe as much as they used to with the Internet and everything. But, you know, people just aren't glued to their TVs. They're not locked into the news on Friday evening. Um, so they did pop that one out um, without really uh, that much fanfare. But Schumer and Gillibrand uh, called on him to resign. Now, we've talked about this before. Of course, all the Republicans are going to say he should resign. We expect that. There's a sort of like a, a pecking order of Democrats that need to call him uh, to resign. It kind of starts with like local politicians. We've already gone past that stage. Uh, then there's some congressmen that started to do it. Most of the congressmen have already called for him to resign. Then it gets up to the Senate. You have that here um, with, uh, with Schumer and Gillibrand from the state. That's important. Um, and uh, they've called for him to resign. There's two more categories here, though, I would argue. One is national figures, other prominent national figures on the Democratic side. Now, someone like AOC would would normally count for that, but it's a New York story, so she kind of counts as one of the Congress people. You know, if you started getting people like, you know, Nancy Pelosi, uh, you started getting people um, on, uh, you know, just, I'm trying to think of like the right name, you know, the Dick Durbins of the world, and, and those people who are just going to step up and say, you know what, he needs to resign. People that are unrelated to the story. Like, people in New York kind of have to make a comment about it because it's been such a big story in New York. But if you find someone, uh, you know, across the country, the Nancy Pelosi's of the world who are just kind of randomly commenting because it's such a big deal to them, that's another step up. And of course, at the top of the chain here would be Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. 
You have the executive branch. Do they step in? We'll have more on that here in just a second. Um, one other development that happened over the weekend is the vaccines are for New York. Now, New York has been pretty bad on the vaccine. It's picked up a little bit from a really rough start, but they're still not a great performer when it comes to vaccine uh, distribution. Uh, the vaccine czar, however, has you can understand why he hasn't been able to distribute the vaccines very well. He's been making calls on Andrew Cuomo's behalf to try to pressure people uh, <laughs> into not talking ne negatively about him. At least that's the accusation. Uh, he was calling around to all sorts of um, uh, people in the government to try to gauge their loyalty to Andrew Cuomo and see if they were going to speak out against him. Uh, he's claiming he did nothing wrong, but all the people who got the calls, many of the people at least that got the calls, uh, felt like they were being intimidated and maybe like, you know, pressured into a little choice. Be loyal to Andrew Cuomo. If you're not loyal to Andrew Cuomo, I, there might be a light shipment in the vaccine world for your area. Sorry about that. This happens. I mean, look. This is Bridgegate, right? This is this does happen in the government from time to time. Um, but this one would be particularly heinous considering uh, the stakes at hand. It's not a little bit of traffic. We're talking about uh, vaccines that can potentially save lives. Uh, so that is going on at the same time. And now we're having a situation where people who work for Andrew Cuomo uh, aren't working for Andrew Cuomo. They're finding ways to not work for Andrew Cuomo. Disillusioned staffers are abandoning embattled Governor Andrew Cuomo, sources said. I hear most people aren't even coming to work and the offices at the Capitol are empty, said one well-placed insider in touch with staffers in recent days. He'll fight and fight and fight, but the staffers I've talked to are ready for him to hang up the gloves. Everyone feels like there's an inevitable conclusion. I mean, at some point, will Biden call on him to step down? They, the staffers, just want this torture to stop. The former aide said many staffers are not coming into executive offices, but choosing to work remotely or at vaccine sites. Instead, they are increasingly worried that their careers are in jeopardy, just as they were beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel after working around the clock for months during the pandemic. Again, you see that same theme being brought up there. Uh, will Biden call for him to resign? Both Biden and Harris are kind of showing a little distance from that decision. Biden says he's not ready to cut bail, uh, excuse me, bait on Cuomo yet. Uh, Andrew Cuomo's political position grows weaker among worsening scandals. President Biden isn't ready to bail on the governor quite yet. On Sunday night, Biden made clear that he favors a wait and see approach, telling a reporter, I think the investigation is underway and we should see what it brings us. This investigation is really interesting because uh, First of all, we're going to find out new things, and that's going to be interesting to watch. But really, this all, if he is called out in this investigation and it shows that they believe this abuse occurred, I mean, Cuomo's toast. And he, he may be able to stay in office because there's no real mechanism to take him out except impeachment. And that's a lot of effort for, that Democrats are not going to want to go through. But he's not going to be able to win re-election if this thing is not perfect. What's fascinating about it is the person who's in control of it, uh, good old Tish James, she's the biggest competitor for him and one of the biggest uh, challengers for the role uh, as governor. So to replace him very well might be Tish James if she comes out with a scathing report that convicts him, uh, at least in the court of public opinion, for all of these abuse allegations. So she really can, is the only one who's left to save him but also can easily destroy his career if she files a report that is critical. So he is he's basically kicked the can down the road and said, just listen to her report. Just listen to her report. If the report comes out 
and it's negative and it's, it shows a pattern of abuse uh, and they believe these women, there's nothing left for Biden to do but to also jump on this bandwagon. And when you have the entire Democratic Democratic apparatus going against you, it's really hard to hold on. Uh, Blagojevich did it for a while. Uh, you know, there's, it does happen from time to time, but usually the pressure is too much. Cuomo wants this more than anyone else, though, so it's possible he would actually stay in office as sort of a deadweight candidate until the end. I would not be shocked to see that at all. This is his whole life. You know, there's one story that came out this weekend that one of the reasons he won't resign is he has nowhere to live. He's got the governor's mansion. He's lived there for 100 years. He has no other real estate. <laughs> now, obviously, you could go to a hotel. Uh, you could go move in with uh, his brother, Chris. Uh, that would be that would be a fun household. But uh, as of right now, he's got nowhere to go. Sadly, um, true. Uh, Jesse McKinley uh, tweets this. This is a new statement from the New York Dems chair. And this is this is where we're getting now in this. Um, now that most Democratic ele- uh, elected officials have made their views known, saying Cuomo should resign and the governor has made clear he has no intention of resigning. It is time to focus on getting the work of government done. They're sick of talking about this. They want to move on. They want this to go away in the worst way. Cuomo says he's not going to drop out, so we're going to wait for this this, uh, investigation to be released. They're trying to find this middle ground. There was some talk of a a strange middle ground where Cuomo would basically take a hiatus, step away from the governor uh, mansion, governor's mansion, let his uh, lieutenant governor step in until the uh, actual results came out. And then if they were good, he'd go back in. Now, if Cuomo knows anything about a dictator, you don't leave. You can't leave office. You've got to stay in office the whole time because the second you leave office, all these things go into motion and you're in big trouble. Uh, so I would doubt he would go for something like that. He's going to stay in there. And whenever this report comes out, I'm sure he will say uh, he didn't do it. And then it's just a matter of whether the pressure is enough to get him out of office. Uh, it's interesting to see how this is all playing out, because as we've covered on the show for a very long time, The media is in this position where they praised Andrew Cuomo throughout 2020 as the savior. Really the only example of someone who could manage our way out of this crisis. He had this terrible first wave. He crushed it and was going to stay low forever. Well, we know, first of all, that he had a terrible first wave partially because of his handling of the virus. Now we also know that when he crushed it and it went out to these very low levels, he's had multiple spikes back up since up to and including the worst coronavirus pandemic uh, situation in the country right now. So uh, I, I understand that he put a book out and he put that book out, remember, right at the beginning of the peak. We've showed you that chart before, which is just humorous. Right as he releases the book, his cases go through the ceiling. And so th- there's this sort of back and forth thing with the media. Now, um, Brian Stelter, who works, of course, at CNN, he's their media reporter, he has a show called Reliable Sources, and one of those topics they took on, and I guess to their credit, right, they, they took on a, a topic that has some relation to CNN, uh, but weren't really talking about the CNN aspects, talking about uh, Andrew Cuomo and the coverage of Andrew Cuomo uh, throughout the media. Uh, that's when Eric Wemple stepped in with this. But I would be remiss, Brian, if I didn't mention CNN's own huge media story here with Chris Cuomo, uh, the anchor at the nine o'clock hour, who covered Andrew Cuomo and had all these wonderful love-a-thon interviews with him, more than 10 of them. And they suspended the conflict of interest rule for Chris Cuomo for those interviews. Mm -hmm. Yet all of a sudden they've enforced it again now that Andrew Cuomo is in the midst of an historic scandal in the Albany Statehouse. So I think that that is a major black eye for CNN. Yep. Yep. 
Yep, very true. And you can trust him because he's got the reporter hair, which is like, I've been out in the wind, maybe in a subway tunnel, and my hair's all messy. Look at me. Uh, you can trust me because my hair, if, if, I, if I had time to brush my hair instead of gathering facts, well, then I'd be a bad reporter. But I'm a good reporter because I just woke up. I stayed up till 5 a.m. getting quotes about this story. And now I've come in without even the time to brush my hair. So you can trust me. And on this one, you actually can trust him because that is a, a point that needs to be made in CNN's face over and over again. This is an organization that at one time, I, I know this doesn't seem true, but at one time would have the guts to take on their own network and say what a bad job this was. That, that time seemingly has passed. You don't see a lot of criticism from inside CNN about CNN topics. But I will say this, at least that aired. Someone's got to point out how ridiculous this is and what a terrible job CNN has done with the entire Cuomo situation from day one. It's been an embarrassment to journalism as a whole. And uh, hopefully they get called out on this a little bit more often until they really answer for it. Because to this point, other than BSPR responses, they haven't done anything. Back in a second. So we have choices in life. Why exactly are we choosing to give big tech companies all of our personal data? Now's the time to take a stand. Protect your personal data from big tech with the VPN that I trust for my online protection, ExpressVPN. When you use ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through their secure encrypted servers. So these companies, these big tech companies, can't even see your IP address at all. Your internet activity becomes anonymized and your network data is encrypted. The best part is you don't have to be all tech savvy. You don't have to be a super nerd to be able to use ExpressVPN. Download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you're protected. So, I mean, stop handling, you know, handing over your data to big tech companies who are trying to censor you anyway. Why deal with them? Uh, yeah, give them the, the VPN treatment. Give them the ExpressVPN treatment. ExpressVPN.com slash stew. E-X-P-R-E-S-S. VPN.com slash stew. You get three months free. ExpressVPN.com slash stew. Don't forget the slash stew part of the address because that's how they know you like this stupid show and you'll get three extra months free. ExpressVPN.com slash stew right now to earn more. I was just beating up on CNN a little bit for their journalisming. Uh, however, I will say that Washington Post takes the cake today on this one. The Washington Post wrote this big story about the call Donald Trump made right before the Georgia election, which uh, basically was Trump, you know, it was portrayed as Trump uh, pressuring the people in Georgia. And he was definitely trying to get them to look into this election more. Um, I, you, can you argue that it turned the election in Georgia? I think you can. I think that call was a, a significant development in the final days of that campaign, which was a very close race. Um, just so you know, Two months later, we get this from The Washington Post. Correction. Two months after publication of this story, the Georgia Secretary of State released an audio recording of President Donald Trump's December phone call with the state's top elections investigator. The recording revealed that the Post misquoted Trump's comments on the call based on information provided by a source. Trump did not tell the investigator to, quote, find the fraud, end quote, or say she would be a, quote, national hero, end quote, if she did so. Instead, Trump urged the investigator to scrutinize ballots in Fulton County, asserting that she would find dishonesty there. He also told her that she had the most important job in the country right now. 
a story about the uh, recording can be found here and headline and text of the story have been corrected to remove quotes misattributed to Trump. Again, the quotes were put in the headline of the story. That's how big a deal with this. A legitimately terrible job by The Washington Post. Uh, and, and I can say that because what I wanted them to do is report this accurately. It wasn't a terrible job for them. They got the result they wanted. So for them, it was a great job. Whoever wrote this and did all this probably got a raise. Are they to tell me that they didn't actually hear this? They were just getting a report from a source when there was audio evidence of this the entire time? Absolutely incredible journalism failure by The Washington Post. They should be harassed, uh, you know, uh, politically, of course, and uh, with their sources, especially Republican sources, for a long time over this. This is a bad job by The Post. And uh, I mean, really, it deserves more than this should be a full page uh, correction and, uh, you know, an ombudsman style owning up to this mistake. It's a big deal. Uh, And that one just came out today. But Joe Biden is planning the first major tax hike in almost 30 years. Uh, We, of course, know he's spending trillions of dollars. He is not a moderate. He's never been a moderate. We've told you that a thousand times. I know you know it by now. The corporate tax rate would go from 21% to 28% in this plan, increasing the, uh, it would also increase the income tax rate on people making more than 400 grand, expanding the estate tax, pairing back ta- uh, tax preferences for pass-through businesses and LLCs, and setting up a higher capital gains tax rate for individual individuals making at least $1 million. And that's how they always pitch these things. It's only for rich people, blah, 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 blah. But of course, that's not how it usually turns out in in the end. So we'll watch that as it happens. And a new study is suggesting now that three feet, not six feet, is the sufficient distance for school students with mask wearing and other safety measures in uh, place as far as COVID goes. Three feet is enough. And uh, that's kind of an amazing development. Although I will say, I think Europe has been doing three feet for a while. Many areas of Europe have been doing three feet, six feet. All of this is arbitrary, right? I mean, the, the number is arbitrary. Stay out of a person's, you know, uh, you know, tunnel of breath is how I would put it. You know, there's a few things I'd like to keep from this pandemic. One of them is, I don't need to be this close to you. I don't really need to be ever inside of three feet with anybody. Uh, maybe, you know, occasionally my wife. Uh, and she would be, she's the one fighting that one off. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, I really don't need, I don't, we used to make fun of close talkers. Remember Seinfeld? There's a whole episode about close talkers. Let's get rid of the close talkers. We'll blame COVID. We just don't want to smell what you had for lunch. That's the real reason. Back in a second. The only people who last this long in the show are the cool kids. You're part of the cool kids club, and I appreciate that. Make sure to click like on this video. If you spent this much time watching the show, you got to click like. Please do and share and subscribe and rate and review and all the things. Um, I also want to tell you about, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about caged immigrants lately. And there's an important question about those. It's called, who built the cages? Because you know what? It wasn't Donald Trump. We, as we learned in the debate, who built the cages uh, it is available now at stewdoesmerch.com, as well as many other fabulous items you can pick up, including an Andrew Cuomo is awful mug and Nancy Pelosi sucks. Pens are available for a limited time as well. Before we leave you, another good thing that you like is going to be taken away from you. This is just the way the world is these days. The new car smell that everyone seems to like so much. And I know I do. The new car smell. Well, <clears throat> it's just carcinogens. <sighs> yeah. The new car smell gives you cancer. That's what I'm telling you. 
This is legitimately what they're saying. They're saying estimating com uh, commuter times from census data and using measurements of chemicals detected in previous studies. The new study found commutes of more than 20 minutes put people of, at risk of unacceptably high levels of two carcinogens used in car manufacturing. I will do this for you, and I want to make sure I make a promise to you and to the rest of America. I will not change my behavior one little bit because of this study. That's my promise to you. That's the Stu Does America guarantee. We'll see you tomorrow.